0: Everything gonna be alright
1: this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlo and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3.
2: Tiger fans rejoice! The long, long nightmare has come to an end. The LSU men's basketball team has finally won a game in the year 2023. It finally happened. As they took down Vandy last night in the P-MAC, 84-77. to Woo! Let's go. Going to turn it around now. Going to finish the season strong. Going to make a run in the SEC tournament. No, none of those things are going to happen. But (laughs) it's still a win. It took a career performance from K.J. Williams. The last time he scored over 30, by the way, they beat Wake Forest. So maybe that's been the key the entire season during this stretch. Just get K.J. over 30, and you'll get the W. You're
3: saying they're not quite quote that team you don't want to play in the sec tournament yet but getting there huh no
2: no don't let that team
3: get hot <laughs>
2: good morning welcome to rp3 and company i'm your host raymond Parch the third better note as rp3 of course i'm joined here in the lovely studios of the game compound or as our friend the blonde bomber says the campus of delta media by the producer dawson Iserlo we got a good show lined up for you today. All of our guests are on the back end of the show. Les East from CrescentCitySports.com. Pelicans start the second half of the season tonight. We'll talk about the latest with the New Orleans Saints, the Alvin Kamara situation. If you watched that video yesterday, not optimal. Not optimal. Doesn't make you feel good. Makes you feel like that six-game suspension that's coming is going to be a little bit longer. We'll also talk to our friends over at the Skillmasters app. As we do every Thursday. And McNeese softball coach James Landreno will be joining us. They notched another top 25 win on Monday. And now they'll be hosting the Cowgirls Classic number two. And be facing off against Ole Miss twice this coming weekend. That's, that, that's what we have on tap. So all three of our guests are on the back end of the show. Final hour, 8 o'clock hour. So that means we got plenty of time to tackle all the topics. It was a busy night. Not only did LSU men snap their skid, Raging Cajun men and women were both in action at the Cajun Dome. Raging Cajun baseball team had their home opener as well. The rain was there, and then right before first pitch, it wasn't. It went away and allowed them to get the game in. And, of course, would love to take your phone calls. Game hotline is open, 337 706 That's 337 706 0111. But we'll start off with those Tigers. They snapped their 14 game losing streak. They were one game away from the longest losing streak in program history. That would have been a dubious honor for first year head coach Matt McMahon. They get their first win of the 2023 calendar year. And first time they've scored more than 77 points in 2023 as well. It took a monster performance from K.J. Williams. and He just, just took over the game, similar to what happened against Wake Forest so many moons ago when they actually were winning games on a regular basis. But KJ goes off, has himself a night, a career night. Best his career high that he set against Vandy by going off for 35 points and getting nine rebounds. Adam Miller had a nice game as well. Instead of jacking up threes constantly throughout the game, the Tigers guard actually drove to the basket. Even took a couple of jump shots. He chipped in 14 points and had three assists. They were able to sustain Liam Robbins. Well, that kid's a monster physically. My monster. 23 points, 11 rebounds, nine blocks. Yeah, nine blocks. But they were able to get Robbins in foul trouble. And Dawson, that was huge in this game late because Robbins picked up his fourth foul Both teams were in one-on-one situations early in the second half. But when they they got Robbins out of the game, the Tigers were able to push their lead all the way up to 11. And Vandy was able to chip away at it by putting Robbins back in the game a couple minutes later. But Jerry Stackhouse had to take his best player out of the game and credit LSU for taking advantage of it, credit for LSU for making their shots, not committing stupid turnovers. They played a nice game. Vandy had been a hot team. They had won five straight. They were trying to play their way into being an NCAA tournament bubble team. You snap the 14-game losing skid. Does it mean that it's going to turn their fortunes around for this season? No. Does it mean that it's going to help them become a dangerous team in the SEC tournament? No. It doesn't mean any of those things. It just means for one night, they were able to play really good basketball, score 80-plus points, not look anemic with the ball in their hands, and K.J. Williams had a career night. Are you going to get a career night from K.J. Williams every night out and have Adam Miller not jack up three-pointers with reckless abandon? No. But it was a nice night for the Tigers. You there, bud? <laughs> I'm here. What's up? I I mentioned your name. I was I was looking for a little back and well, forth. I was just here about trying it.
3: to go through some box scores, catch up on some things that I missed last night. Sorry. Look, it's simple. When you have to look, when a team like Vandy has to deal with the type of offensive firepower that LSU has, it's one of the top offenses in the country. It has been all year, so it's just
2: tough. <laughs> such a smart aleck response <laughs> my man looked at me like oh you want me to talk about lsu do i have to talk about lsu basketball this is really what's going on it was a great win no i i i know you referenced me but then you kind of go on afterwards
3: so i thought i you set it up for carried you, yourself away it's there. okay
2: it's now so no that's on me you know I, I, I wanted i wanted you and i to be on this journey together we are all right bud there we go.
3: I was trying to find like a nice little nugget to kind of reference there. And I was no. They, they,
2: they just won a game. Look, that's what it boils down to. You, you, you snap the skid. It's not going to be the longest losing skid in history. Right? So you can avoid that embarrassment. And, and you get a nice, a nice moment late in the season. Right? And... They'll play Ole Miss on Saturday. Ole Miss is awful. Now, we said the same thing about South Carolina being awful. And they still lost to South Carolina at home. But you're coming off a big win. Can you go to Ole Miss and win two in a row?
3: What's that line? Is it it Major League? Boys, we won today. If we win tomorrow, that's a winning streak. It has happened before.
2: (laughs) Yes, it has. I think that would be. I think it would be critical for Coach McMahon and just the program. Look, th- this this team isn't going anywhere this season. We we've known that for a while, and they're playing. Let's be honest, mediocre to bad competition. Vandy had won five straight, but they were talking about firing Jerry Stackhouse three weeks ago. Remember, they probably are talking about firing Jerry Stackhouse again after losing to the worst team in the SEC. <laughs> I would expect those phone calls to be, yo. Know, I would expect those phone calls this morning in Nashville sports talk radio. If they actually care about Vanderbilt in Nashville, which I don't think they do, but that's the discussion for another day. Great city, not really a great sports town. They lose to South Carolina, right? It, it the the sky is falling because they've gotten worse. They have a great night against Vandy. They got Ole Miss still left. If they can get just a couple of wins. Well, once again, they're not going anywhere. They're not going to make noise in the SEC tournament in Nashville at the Bridgestone Arena, which is a lovely facility, by the way. They're not going to do that. So, So this is all about building up something. Salvaging this season is essentially what you're doing here, Dawson. You're just trying to do whatever you can to try to get some positives out of a season that, let's be honest, has been a bit of a dumpster fire and a lost season. So if you can maybe put together two wins, that's at least something, right? That That's something that you can maybe build upon and not have the season completely get away from you.
3: I I thought you had something else to say there. You you have these natural pauses. So I looked up. I thought you had a little more. I'm sorry. I didn't want to cut off
2: your thought there. You were kind of rolling. I'm sorry. Oh, my goodness. You're on point today. Don't you ever change. Don't you ever change. 35-point performance from K.J. Williams. Great performance by him. Miller, once again, doesn't get crazy with uh, shooting the three-pointer, actually attacks the basket, sets up some shots. But I don't expect that. Like, And I do worry about Saturday. Because when we looked at the schedule, we said, Hey, Ole Miss, that could be a pretty good win. That could be an opportunity for a win. But now they exerted so much energy to beat Vandy, and they finally snapped the streak. I also anticipate a possible letdown on Saturday night. I, I hate to be negative, but you know, part of me goes, "Okay, well, now they can put you know back-to-back wins and at least have something here at the end of the season." But then I go, oh, "Timeout. This is this year's LSU men's basketball team." Could they really go on the road and lose by 10 to a terrible missing team that's going to fire their coach? Yes, they could.
3: Would it be a letdown or would it just be back to normal? <laughs> it would be back to normal. So that's, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's to, the, last night was more of a ramp-up than a get-right game, if, if that makes sense.
2: Last night was a total anomaly, right? Because it was, you hadn't seen this team all season, and – You needed a career night out of your best player. And you had to have your second best offensive player not be a knucklehead by jacking up threes to beat a middle-of-the-pack SEC team. Are all the stars going to align again for this team? probably not Dawson no
3: but it's it's probably what Mac McMahon needed at this point of you know year one to just kind of send some life into the into the yes you know the the, the fan base and the program heading into the off season. not to say the season's over now obviously they got a few left but um, you felt like you probably needed one more so it, it really did look like they weren't gonna win another game and I think a lot of people had started to accept that so This may be a shot in the arm, and again, if the NCAA will ever make their decision, then maybe they can move forward and and try to get this thing turned around in the offseason.
2: Tigers at Ole Miss on Saturday, and then next week at home for their regular season finale versus Mizzou on Wednesday, and then they have to wrap up the regular season at Florida a week from Saturday before going to the SEC tournament in Nashville. We'll hear from LSU head coach Matt McMahon next about the Tigers' big win last night right here on the game.
1: This is RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and one zero four one Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
4: Thought so, I thought so, Sheldon, and you know the, the streak is something we certainly don't, don't spend much time talking about, we're trying to focus on doing the things that we need to do to play better, uh, to get better as a team and find ways to win. And I thought our players were really locked into that. Um, you know, one thing that stands out, I thought Bandy obviously punched us in the face there to start the second half, three straight drives to get it down to one. Uh, they went on another run in the second half, and, and our guys responded both times. And oftentimes when you're going through uh, you know, a losing stretch, uh, sometimes you just find another way to lose. And, and I thought our guys were, were really dialed in to, to doing the things necessary uh, to win the game. You know, only seven turnovers, 15 assists on our 27 made baskets, so we're over 2-1 to one there. Um, you know, really solid on the glass. Uh, got to the free throw line and converted. And, um, you know, we look back at Saturday's game, you know, where we got to the free throw line, if you include one-on-ones, ten times more than our opponent, and we got outscored by three. You know, Tonight we're plus seven at the free throw line. Um, so, you know, credit to our players.
2: That's LSU men's basketball coach Matt McMahon discussing thoughts on the win over vanderbilt once again they snap their 14 game losing skid and they finally get to taste victory for the first time in 2023 and look if they lose another game at least they have this right at least they won't go from you know at least they will have said they had won a game in the calendar year of 2023 three games left on the schedule at Ole Miss on Saturday next Wednesday night versus Mizzou in the PMAC and then on the road next Saturday at Florida before they have to go to Nashville for the SEC tournament at the Bridgestone Arena. And, you know, obviously we've seen this team perform so poorly, specifically offensively, with turnovers and bad shots and just clunky offense, their defense at times hasn't been much better either. And Matt McMahon was asked, "What was different about the preparation or about the team heading into this game than say any other game in 2023?"
4: Well, I think so. I just, I just felt, Glenn, we were really dialed into you know the things that matter the most, you know, which is winning. You know, and, and what can you do to help your team win? And having that mindset to come in and empty the tank in practice or the game, whatever it is, physically, mentally, emotionally. It's, it's the way the game's supposed to be played. And we've had a lot of shortcomings there. And it's obviously cost us. Uh, but I, I thought our guys really worked hard in practice, competed, and I just thought the mindset was was where it needed to be. And so we need to build on that. You know, there's still a lot of basketball to be played. and. and Clearly, we have a lot of getting better to do.
2: Still got three games left. Still plenty of basketball to play for for sure. You know, for this team, this may be their chance to kind of exhale. Because once you start having the L's pile up on you, you do get nervous. You do get a little stressed and you don't play as loose as you typically do because then you start forcing the issue, especially in a game. All of a sudden, oh, this team goes on a 5 or 6-0 run, and all of a sudden, now you get tight. Because then, in the back of your mind, are like, oh, we're going to lose again. We're going to lose again. We're going to lose again. And credit LSU, they didn't do that last night, and now they get to kind of relax a little bit. And maybe after snapping the skid, we'll see them maybe win another game. I think that's the optimistic outlook for this team. You snap the skid. Now what can you do? Well, I try to win another game. Yet three of them left in the regular season. Missouri's been schizophrenic. Florida's been okay. They're a mid level team in the SEC. Ole Miss is going to fire Kermit Davis, their longtime head coach, because that program is trending in the wrong direction. Now, the goal for LSU is very simple. Hey, let's just try to win one more. Let's try to end the season winning two of our last four. For most teams, that's not a good goal to have. For most teams, that's not something that's going to, you know, change things around. But for this year's LSU men's basketball team, this is probably the best thing. The most realistic goal to have. Is us go, okay, now that we snapped the streak, let's just go out there and try to win another. In one of these last three games. And maybe have some fun. Maybe. Because it's a lost season for sure. K.J. Williams, obviously career night, 35 points. Most points he's ever scored in a college basketball game. That exceeds the 32-point performance he had against Wake Forest. That was last year. And the big fella, who was absolutely on fire last night, gave all the credit to his teammates for finding him for those open looks.
1: With me uh, scoring those 20 uh, of our next 33, um, just credit to my teammates for finding me. Um, and my, also the coaches, uh, drawn up plays for me to get wide open shots, um, looking at the defense because there's a lot of space out there. Um, it, it was just something that, that, we, uh, that we got to attack. Uh, of course, if you see a lot of space, um, why not attack it? Um, and credit to my teammates, they, they found me in the open spots and I knocked them down.
2: He was feeling it and they were finding ways to get him the basketball. Can they keep doing that? Who knows? Once again, realistic goal now that they've snapped the long skid and have actually won a game in the calendar year of 2023. Yes, it's February 23rd. Woof. Is hey, have some fun and try to win another game. That's it. That's it. Expectations are really nothing for this team. Just go out there and try to win another game. Speaking of expectations, either unrealistic or not, How about the New Orleans Saints? That's our poll question of the day. We're going to have some fun with this one. Derek Carr is being coveted by multiple teams. We warned you about this. We talked about this. That other teams would come a-calling. The Jets are making a pitch. Now, there's some different reports about Are they going to wait for Aaron Rodgers or should they wait for Aaron Rodgers or should they just say, you know what, let's just go get Derek Carr and get it done with and Aaron can stay in his darkness retreat or go back to Green Bay or host Jeopardy or, you know, whatever he does. Jets, Covet Carr, apparently the Carolina Panthers are interested in Derek Carr. There's going to be other suitors. So let's play the what-if scenario with our poll question. If the Saints don't sign Derek Carr, what should they do? Now, once again, I I don't know if Derek Carr can be fixed, if he's just not broken. John Gruden has that effect on people. And, you know, obviously he's the best of, let's be honest, okay quarterbacks. There's not a great quarterback out there. Once again, Aaron Rodgers is still under contract. Lamar Jackson is under contract. So of the free agent class, it's not like there's a lot of great options. So if the Saints can't land Derek Carr, what should they do? Bring in another veteran quarterback? Bring back the red rifle? That's Dawson's choice, by the way. He loves him some Andy Dalton. Or draft a rookie early. 56, no, I'm sorry, now, 53% 53% of you say draft a rookie early. Ooh. 29% say bring in another veteran. 18% say bring back Andy Dalton. JPK the OD says draft a rookie every year till you get it right. Bring in Baker Mayfield for the sheer entertainment factor of it all. I <laughs> don't go down. Oh my God. Look at this. I just can't. I can't. The man mentioned the character from the butterfly effect. Outstanding reference, JPK, the OD. Ton says, what should they do? Run it back with Jameis and give him a real fair chance. What will they do with DA as coach and PC as OC? Anything that they shouldn't. They still need to draft a QB of the future, I think, but not necessarily this year. And John Paul says, other should be an option here. Carr's a better option than Jameis Winston, but a healthy Winston is a pretty dang good option also. I think the Saints still like Jameis. Sad him last season because he was had a broken back. He has a winning record as a starter. This group does not like Jameis. Dennis Allen, Pete Carmichael, do not like Jameis. They don't. That's not going to happen. They're going to part ways with famous Jameis. The Red Rifle they like. They miss out on Carr. Just saying and they're at 29, how could they possibly get up to get any of those alleged elite quarterbacks? And I have questions of them even being elite guys. And do you trust this duo to develop a young quarterback that you would draft in the first two rounds? Because I don't. Keep voting on our poll question of the day. If the Saints don't sign Derek Carr, what should they do? Keep those votes coming. Keep those comments coming. We'll share them throughout today's show. we got to take a timeout when we return here. Big day for Raging Cajuns on the hardwood. We'll recap it for you next right here on The Game.
1: This is RP3 and company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go subscribe to The Game's YouTube channel, At The Game Louisiana. That way, you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from the game. 103.7 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's
0: Sports Station. First half, we did some good things and were able to get a little bit of a lead. I thought we shot the ball well in the first half. We took care of the ball for the most part. Uh, and then second half, we came out and let them creep back in the game just like they did at Jonesboro, cut cut into the lead, and then we were able to, to, to uh, push it back out and get some separation by getting some big offensive rebounds and scoring at the bucket. And I thought we hit free throws. We had a couple of bad turnovers, but I thought we got the ball inside. We did what we needed to do uh, to pull out a victory against a pesky team. They played well. They had a, Their best three-point shooters did not shoot it great felts is two for five but uh, marquise davis three for four so they they did but terrence ford shooting 54 percent, he's 0 for 4 and i thought that was key in the game he's more than likely the freshman of the year in our league so i thought we did a good job defensively at times were able to hang on and and win
2: bob marlin raging cajun men's basketball coach following his team's 85-74 to win at home against Arkansas State last night in the Cajun Dome. That extends their winning streak at home to 14, and they're one win away from a perfect 2022-2023 season inside the Cajun Dome. They improved to 22-7 and overall and 12-5 and in the Sun Belt. The win also gives them, secures them the double bye for the conference tournament which is the big key. They don't have to play until Saturday of next week. That's huge for them. Then they just have to win three games in three days like everybody else. Jordan Brown, 14 points, came in the second half of his 24. He also had 12 rebounds to give himself his second straight double-double of the season. They got good contribution. Greg Williams Jr. played well in this ball game. Had 18 points. Terrence Lewis II had 11 on four or five shooting, immensely efficient. He also chipped in eight rebounds. And Folks had 11 points as well. They won the rebounding battle, beat the Red Wolves on the glass, 41 to 32. All good things. Comfortable, 11 point victory. Jordan Brown gets a double double, gets contributions from elsewhere. And they, they secure the double buy. Now, there's still plenty at stake here with the final game on Friday night against South Alabama. The other games are going to be crucial. Marshall has to play at Old Dominion to wrap up the regular season. Old Dominion's not a joke. They're really right now the fifth best team in the conference. Marshall is now tied for a top... The Sunbelt Conference standings with Southern Miss because Southern Miss lost again last night. Man, if, if the Cajuns had only had not lost to Coastal Carolina, they'd be right now tied for atop the Sunbelt Conference standings. Ooh. That's one that's going to come back and you're going to like, really? So Marshall, Southern Miss are tied atop the standings, but Marshall won the head-to-head, so they are actually would earn the one seed for the conference tournament if it starts today. But everyone still has one game. So Marshall has to go play at Old Dominion. The Cajuns have to play the hottest team in the Sunbelt Conference, the South Alabama Jaguars. They come to town on Friday. James Madison, who's currently right now the four seed, uh, they play Georgia State, who is awful. So really, if you're the Cajuns, does the seeding matter? I We've discussed this. I don't know if it does, Dawson. I I really don't because you can't get the one seed, so you're either going to be the two, three, or the four. Does it really matter? I I don't think it does, Uh, and I don't think the coaches are really going to care all that much because no matter who you play, you have to win three games in three days.
3: Yeah, so here's the issue right now with the Sunbelt Conference and where UL's at. For a while there, and the way they were playing, and the way the rest of the league was playing, it seemed like we had a pretty clear top four. And again, James Madison kind of emerged late into that fourth seed, but I was kind of always on him. I will give myself a little credit there. Thank you, appreciate that. Um, but So for a long time, that's what it kind of looked like, and the way the double buy set up in the tournament, it felt like this tournament's going to start on Sunday. Because UL, Marshall, Southern Miss, and James Madison are clearly a cut above the rest. So they're going to have their double bye. They're going to come out. They're going to win their first-round games. And then we're going to have a little you know, four-team tournament. That's what it felt like for a long time. For a lo- you're right. For a long time, it did feel that way. Well, what you've had now in the last two to three weeks is UL's not playing as nearly as well as they were. Um, Southern Miss is not playing nearly as well as they were. Now, Marshall's heated back up. And they look like they are uh, kind of back in form after losing to UL. they won five straight now. But what you've had now is that second tier of teams, the teams ranked fifth through eighth, Mm -hmm. that for a long time we kind of wrote off, um, have all kind of reemerged. Old Dominion has won five of their last six games. The only team they've lost to is James Madison. As you mentioned, South Alabama is the hottest team on the planet right now. They've won five in a row, and not only have they won five in a row, they're blowing teams out. I mean, they blew out Southern Miss. They blew out Monroe. Uh, They played a little non-conference game in there mixed in, and they blew Hartford out. They blew out App State, and they pretty much handled Texas State on the road last night. So South Alabama's now looking like a team that you don't want to play at
2: all. Troy, who defeated the Raging Cajuns. And Troy beat
3: the Cajuns, and again, their only loss, they've won, let's see, one, two, three, four, five out of their last six, and their only losses to Marshall. So the middle of the Sun Belt right now is playing just as well or better than the top. So what you're going to have now, and again, I think I think you're correct. I don't know if the seeding matters. There are some breaks you can catch. I think App State's probably the team that's, which App State's not a bad team, and that's the only team that you all did not play in the regular season because of a weird Sunbelt scheduling quirk this year where you're playing a bunch of teams twice, but you don't play App at all. Um, there may be the team you wouldn't mind seeing, but whoever you play in that first game, now that you have the double bye, is going to be either Troy, Old Dominion, One of those really good teams, South Alabama
2: or maybe App State. It feels like one of those second-tier teams is going to be in the semifinals.
3: At least one of them. I think maybe two. And Now, the advantage you have, again, for playing more consistently and better over the course of the whole regular season is that you don't have to play that extra game, and those teams do. So Troy and Old Dominion and South Alabama and App State, they all have to play an extra game. And look, there's a chance that they can lose those games and they will have had an extra game under their belt. Now you can look at that in two ways. Some people like to kind of have the momentum built up, uh, but the other thing is that they will be on shorter rest. Of course, you will not have played, and they will. But it's no longer, okay, the real tournament starts on Sunday with the semifinals, and you know we'll see where we're at right there. It's now you're going to play a very good, very hot team on the first day of the tournament, um, the first day for the Cajuns, at least. And that's that's concerning because, again, this team does not play well in the second half. It's the mm-hmm. same story on a different day. Um, they don't put teams away, which is the most frustrating thing. Again, I, I mentioned it during the break while we were off. It's like I've never seen a team do it so much but yet never really have the game in doubt. They don't mess around when the game gets close or somewhat appears like it's going to get close. They put things away but they never actually extend the lead to the point where they don't have to worry about it and they can play some walk-ons. Like They don't ever get to that point. They, they take 20-point leads and they turn them into 8, 10, and then they stretch it back out and then it gets back down to 8 or 10 and then they stretch it back out. It's, a very, it's, it's less stressful than playing back-and-forth games, I guess, but it's, it's just frustrating because they're clearly better than these teams by a good
2: margin and they just don't put their foot on the throat. They don't do it. They led by 12 at the break. Arkansas State actually outscored them 45-44 to 44 in the second half. So, their second half issues are still there, and I worry about that playing a role in the conference tournament once they get to Pensacola. And look, it, Bob Marlin admitted to as much afterwards about the fact that, look, this wasn't the prettiest win that they've had.
0: Yeah, you know, it didn't go. It wasn't uh... – as pretty as some of the wins that we've had here at home. But I thought we did some really good things. Uh, Knew it was going to be this type of game. You know, We're not used to playing on Wednesday nights, too. Kind of threw us off coming back from uh, James Madison. But overall, I mean, we we were able to hang on and, and do enough and make enough plays down the stretch to win a basketball game.
2: Now, they'll be taking on South Alabama, which is the hottest team in the conference along with Marshall. The Jaguars, if you remember, back on January 14th, the Cajuns beat them in Mobile at the Mitchell Center. That was a 79-76 game. And that was before South Alabama figured out how to play basketball again. The Jaguars have been a far more improved team since then. That was a three-point game. And Bob Marlin was asked you know about his team and could they look back at the previous south alabama matchup heading into friday's game
0: well they're a very big team uh they've got big size and then the biggest one kevin samuel didn't play in our game so uh, they really came out and shot the ball tremendous uh and made three point shots and were able to to have a lead, you know, in the second half. And I know Greg, remember Greg hit a big three at the end of the half, which really helped us. And we came out, we had that run where we were able to get get the lead and then Themis made the big layup late to kind of ice the game for us. But they're a good team. They were picked third in a preseason poll for a reason, because uh, they're a talented team. And as, as you said, they're playing well, they've won eight of nine.
2: Cajuns men get the win. Earlier in the night, the Cajuns women had an opportunity to kind of solidify themselves, to to help their case, to get in the conference tournament as a team with the double bye. Texas State was above them in the standings. Southern Miss was above them in the standings. They played both of them this week. First up was Texas State. This game was tied 11-11 after one. And then the Bobcats were able just to kind of pull away. The Cajuns try to make a game of it. Lenae Whedon, she led them in scoring, but took a bunch of shots to do so. They were able to tie the game there in the third quarter. But then as soon as they tied the game, and they used all that energy to tie the game, Texas State just had two quick buckets, boom, boom, back to back. And that was it. It was that simple. And then Texas State never again allowed them to kind of get back into the game. They kept them at bay essentially 5 points distance for the rest of the way. And Gary Broadhead talked about the loss to Texas State.
5: All right. Uh, I mean, I just uh, I thought we played well at times. Just a little inconsistent at times too and I think we went through times. I mean, if you look at the score per quarter, you know, I think the second quarter they outscored us by four. Uh, third quarter by one, and then, you know it's like he it was up and down, but we just couldn't get consistent on the offensive side, and even on the defensive side to let Hood have 27. You know, I think that's something that we normally wouldn't let happen. You got to give a lot of credit to Taylor for for getting their offense going and stuff like that. But it was just uh, tonight wasn't a, a night that we could really guard. I thought, you know, even though we uh, we kind of struggled a, a, again on the offensive side, like everybody's been saying, I, I guess that we're gonna have to quit listening to y'all start playing our basketball. Everybody in the media is saying we can't score, we can't do this. I, I get it, but this is part of life.
2: And look, you understand why Gary's frustrated. It, this team would look completely different if Brandi Williams hadn't got injured in the preseason. I mean, let's just have an honest conversation. She would have given them another scorer, consistent scorer, and they probably would be playing for the regular season title on Friday. That's how much of a difference she would make, and they lost her right before the start of the season. So there's nothing you can do. Look, Gary always plays a grinded-out style of basketball. That doesn't lend itself always to prettiness when it comes to the offensive side of basketball. But last night, defense as well. You know, he mentioned Hood. They held her to four points in the game in San Marcos, which they won. She had 27. Like, so... That's a huge difference in this ball game. And for the Raging Cajun women, now you look at the updated standings. With one game to go, James Madison sits atop the conference by themselves. They have a one-game cushion. Then you have Texas State, Southern Miss, Old Dominion, and Troy all tied at 12-5. and five. Georgia Southern at 11-6, Louisiana's at 10-7, which means... I'm not that great with math. What That tells me that the Cajuns are out of the running for getting a double bye. Confirmed. There we go. So they'll have to play early and they'll have to play the extra games. But Gary even said afterwards he kind of likes that. He likes his team having their backs against the wall because he believes they played their best basketball. And look, they'll have an opportunity to maybe upset Southern Miss a little bit maybe knock them out of that spot because that's who they play on Friday. Southern Miss is one of four teams tied for uh, second. Things fall right. Southern Miss could find themselves on the outside looking in for the double bye as well. So Cajuns could play spoiler Friday night in the Cajun double. we got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up right here on the game.
1: This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
2: I'm going to try to do better. I eat up all the time there. Made us run late. Less time for this segment. Put my producer in a bad spot. I got to do better for the man. I got to do better for D'Lo. D'Lo deserves better. The man brings special fancy words to the show that he learned in college with his two degrees. I need to do better. Just need to do better. Hour number one's done. Hour number two, coming up right here on the game.
4: Whoa.
0: Everything, everything, everything gonna be alright
1: this morning.
0: Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here
1: is producer Dawson Iserlo and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3.
2: Oh, we kick off hour number two here of RP3 and Company. Game hotline is open if you want to get in. 337 706 That's 337 706 Hour number one. Oh, man. Recapped the hardwood action from last night. LSU men's basketball team gets a win. Yes, they get a win. It was so mind blowing that Dawson was speechless earlier today. They snap their 14-game losing skid. K.J. Williams goes off for a career-high 35 points, nine rebounds, as they get a win at home inside the PMAC against Vandy. Snaps the skid, and they win their first game of the calendar year of 2023. Now, will they be able to turn this into something? Will they maybe be able to win another game in their last three? That'll be a trip Saturday to Ole Miss which is a dreadful team that looks like they're about to fire their longtime head coach, Kermit Davis, maybe. Or maybe they just, you know, got the last hoorah out of the way. Either way, LSU men's basketball team gets a win. The Raging Cajun men get a win last night inside the Cajun Dome against Arkansas State. Jordan Brown got himself his second straight double-double. He scored the majority of his points in the second half. Greg Williams had a nice night with 18 points. They had a couple others in double figures. As Bob Marlin's team is now one win away from a perfect home season. Something they have talked about doing in the preseason. Standing in the way will be the South Alabama Jaguars, possibly the hottest team in the Sunbelt Conference as they come to the Cajun Dome Friday night. Cajuns, though, Had that little bit of what we call a lull or a letdown in the second half yet again. Arkansas State outscored them 45-44. to They still won by double digits, but they had that lull yet again. And Dawson and I talked about it. Don't know really why this happens. Because they come out with so much energy. They're so focused to start games. They they jump out to, to great starts. I remember a few weeks back... Against ULM, Dawson, they jumped out to a huge lead. They were up by like 30 points or something crazy. And then the Warhawks chipped away in the second half. But the Cajuns do just enough to keep a team at bay. But it does feel like they take their foot off the gas a little bit. Which is, I don't know, interesting to me. They they get the job done, but we've seen them, when they take their foot off the gas in second halves on the road, say like, James Madison or at Troy they end up losing those games. So, they're definitely going to have to play more focused second half of basketball when they get to Pensacola for the conference tournament. They earned the double bye, which is great. Seeding still has to be determined. That'll be that'll happen after Friday, but they're going to have to do a better job in the second half.
3: Yeah, so it again, I I think that's that's concerning and the other thing about this tournament and, and what I've kind of I already hit on a little bit in the first hour is that there was a long time, and I, I mean, I truly felt it when watching you know a lot of the league play. There was a gap between UL and Marshall and maybe Southern Miss and then the rest of the conference, and that's not there anymore. Um, so, if the tournament started today, as we like to do these exercises, because again, the, the possibilities are still everything could still shuffle because of how close a lot of these teams are. but if the tournament started today, all would be, of course, a double-buy. They would play the winner of the game between Old Dominion, and then Old Dominion, of course, would be playing the winner of the first-round game, which would be Texas State and Georgia State. So you would then, like, you know, if the bracket shaked out the way we expected to, you'd be playing Old Dominion in your first game, who's one of the hottest teams in the conference, and beat you uh,
2: back towards the beginning of the season. Correct. So, Second game of conference play.
3: And even if things shake up a little bit, if you were to lose your last game and fall down to the four spot, then you're on in line to potentially play Troy. Like, and So Troy's another team that beat you the last time they, that you played them, and you didn't look particularly great in that. Now, you did play them well the first time. Um, I think Troy might be my most favorable likely matchup that you could get in, the, in your first game. I think Troy's the team mm-hmm. that they match up pretty well with. I thought they played uncharacteristically poor on the road, and that Troy team kind of caught fire in a game that you wouldn't expect them to do that again. Um, but I think, look, when it comes to, if you give me my choice between South Alabama, Old Dominion, and Troy, which are the three really likely opponents, I'll take Troy, um, who ironically is going to be the highest-seeded of the three as long as they can handle their business
2: and win on Friday. So, And they beat Troy like a drum without Jordan Brown.
3: Yeah, and, and again, that was a weird kind of situation where it almost seemed like it worked to their favor, that maybe Troy was preparing for Brown all week and had some different re- wrinkles right. defensively for him. Um, another thing that I'm excited to watch tomorrow, again, this like the win-loss, there's not a ton on the line for the Cajuns unless everything else falls their way. Of course, if Marshall and Southern Miss both lose, you still have a shot at a share of the regular season title and an NIT automatic berth. Um, but I think that's fairly unlikely given that Southern Miss plays a Texas State team that's not very good. Now, here's where it gets interesting for me. I, you need to see how this team plays against South Alabama because of how poorly they've played in the second half in the last four or five games. Um, and I want to see how they kind of... It's, it's kind of a measuring stick game. They played James Madison on the road, and I thought they played well, but they lost the game. But you expected that. It was a tough road trip. This is a home game. Ah, uh, you don't have a ton of those logistical excuses. You're playing at home, so you should really, if you're one of the best teams in the conference, which they believe they are, and I and they want to go undefeated at home. Yeah, you, so you've got things to play for. You should win this game against South Alabama. As good as the Jaguars have been playing. With that being said, when you beat them on the road, they didn't have their guy. It was very similar to the Troy matchup. The uh, the big center was ruled out late in that one, so they didn't play with their seven footer in the middle. Now, they had a guy who doesn't play a whole lot of minutes step in and score a lot early on for them, and it was maybe kind of the uh, same thing that happened to the Cajuns in Troy, right? A guy who they didn't prepare for, doesn't play a lot of minutes, comes in and scores early and often. But now you have to play South Alabama at full strength with the 7-footer in the middle, and I'm really interested to see how that's going to go because they haven't played a ton of teams. The Sun Belt this year in general really doesn't have a whole lot of size Correct. They don't,
2: right, they don't have a lot of big fellows down low.
3: Um, and so from that perspective, I now want to see how they match up. Does Jordan Brown, is he able to handle that guy inside offensively? Now, it's you know he's not a great offensive player. Um, and, of course, I'm talking about Kevin Samuel, the 7-foot senior. He averages 10 points and 9 rebounds a game. He's not an offensive game changer, but he's one of those guys when he's got a mismatch, they can kind of run through that. And a lot of times, again, they're playing teams that don't really have a guy to cover him. It's kind of the same thing when you all had Akuba last year. There were certain teams that just didn't have a guy who could match up inside with how much length he had, and you all would go to him in those games. So I want to see how that plays out. I want to see how they match up with that type of team because, again, you're going to run into somebody in the Sunbelt tournament that you don't particularly match up perfectly with unless you get a perfect draw where you play, you know, these – which, with the again, the way we kind of see it playing out with as long as the higher seeds are pretty much holding serve, it's just not going to take place. Like, they're the only teams that you – Really feel great about are the teams that are at the bottom, and we don't expect those teams to get
2: through Correct. Uh, to the third day of Pensacola. So, Pensacola is going to be interesting because you're right the the group behind Marshall, Southern Miss, UL, and James Madison that starts off with Old Dominion, Troy, App State, and South Alabama they've all closed the gap, in my opinion. Now, their record doesn't suggest that, right in in conference play. But we've seen them play in the last month. But even,
3: I mean, it even has though because I remember. Well, I'm remember, saying overall. If yeah. you
2: If you just glance, you know, if you average like, well, them out, Marshall yeah. and Southern Miss, they're 13 and four, and UL's 12 and five, and you know, they're not no, well. If you look a little bit deeper and look at what's happened in the last month, you would see that Old Dominion, Troy, App State, and South Alabama have kind of closed the gap. Now. That's going to make for an interesting tourney. It's a neutral site. No one's going to have any type of home court advantage. I think that is going to play a huge role for Southern Miss because they are a far different team away from home. We've seen that. We've seen them struggle mightily away from Hattiesburg. And all these teams are beatable. Like There's not a dominant team in the Sun Belt. You could make, we could make the argument right now that Marshall, Southern Miss, UL, and James Madison could all win the, the conference tournament. You could probably make an argument for Old Dominion, too. Or Troy. And definitely South Alabama. And so, you have legitimately six or seven teams that can win the conference tournament. For the Cajuns' postseason chances, because we asked Dan McDonald this yesterday when we had him on the show. Who's the play-by-play man for ESPN Plus broadcast of Raging Cajun Athletics? You know, some people still have them projected to be an NIT team, even if they don't win the regular season. Southern Miss losing last night hurts them. In that, in, in that scenario. And I know, look, the main focus for the Cajuns is going to be winning the conference tournament and getting to the NCAA tournament, right? That's the goal, is to get to the big dance. That's the main objective. But if Marshall and Southern Miss both win, and Southern Miss, I think, has to play like Texas State, well, that that should be a win for them, even though it's on the road. Well, and a bummer. I'm hoping maybe in San Marcos
3: they don't get the updated standing sent to them before Friday's game with the tiebreakers because they they lost the tiebreaker to Monroe, so they can't move out of the 11 seed, which is – so they are stuck. They will not have any buys. I was hoping – a that they would have won last night, so that they would have had a chance to move up, but also maybe, maybe they don't receive that information and the Bobcats are playing fired up on Friday. That's my hope.
2: But Marshall has a tough game against O D. So maybe it works out where only one of them is the regular season champ. That's what you want to that's that's what the Cajuns need to have happen as the backup plan. You need there not to be a co-championship in the Sun Belt. You need there be just a regular season champ,
3: and that will actually help you. Yeah, you make a good point because the the NIT, and again, so that projection that I saw yesterday that had the Cajuns in the NIT as an eight seed, uh, that did have a note at it that said, "Think about." It said, "Look, if if a team you see here is on the seven or eight line, you have to remember that." This is all with the automatic bids in place, and there's going to be some surprise teams that Correct. lose their conference tournament. So it was like a team that's projected on the seven eight line is probably out in in reality. So even if even if all this shakes out right, UL still would have to make a run to at least the title game to even be in consideration for the NIT. In my yes, opinion.
2: because right now, if you are the NIT, Marshall and Southern Miss have better resumes because they're twenty four and six overall. That's what it boils down and to. And Southern Miss has
3: some better non-conference wins than UL does anyway. Correct.
2: So. And UL's at 22-7. Now, that's nothing to sneeze at, right? And if they beat South Alabama and then make or, you know, win a couple of games in the conference tournament, that has them as a 25-win team. Well, a 25-win team is going to be on people's radar. The problem is Marshall and Southern Miss could have 26 wins or 27 wins. And if one of them wins the regular season title and doesn't win the conference tournament, they get the auto bid to the NIT. The other team goes to the NCAA. Is the NIT going to take two teams from the Sun Belt? They could. Probably not. But,
3: yeah, so. And so. And I'll kind of wrap up like my thoughts on the Sun Belt Conference and, and, and the way that this tournament is heading with this. Just to kind of reiterate these teams in the middle how well they're playing, Troy, because we talked about the gap that's been closed, Troy was five and six in conference play at one point. They're 10 and seven, they're five and one in their last six. Old Dominion was five and six at the same time. They're now 10 and seven, they've won, they're five and one. And South Alabama, of course, was four and eight, and they're now nine and eight. So all three of those teams in the middle that were all below 500 and middle of the pack teams have mm-hmm. really emerged, have played great basketball in the last month and a half. And um, that's not good news for the rest of the league. With that being said, You get a chance on Friday night to go out and handle your business, complete a historic undefeated home season, and get some momentum
2: rolling into Pensacola next week. And that's what it's all about. right? That's what it's all about. And we'll see if Bob Marlin's team can be able to do that on Friday. The women, they will not have a chance at the double bye. They lost last night to Texas State. Other games played out. They won't have a chance now to get a double by, but they can maybe prove to be spoiler for Southern Miss. Who's fighting to receive a double by at the conference tournament. So Gary Broadhead's team still has plenty to play for. And look, they like to have their backs up against the wall and Gary's I'll say this. Look, they struggle offensively, but his style of play, the way they play basketball, they like to grind it out, right? Grinded out teams tend to be a thorn in people's sides in conference tournaments because it forces you not to play your game. That could be an advantage for the Cajuns. And I also think the women's side is going to be wide open as well. Absolutely going to be wide open. we got to take a timeout. Raging Cajun baseball opened up its home season last night against BYU. We'll recap it and talk about that next right here on the game.
1: This is RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3
2: doesn't play around when it comes to his personal life. I got one NFL team. I got one college team. I got one major league baseball team.
1: And the big fella's also monogamous when
2: it comes to his sports fandom. That's what I got my merch for. That's who I support, period. Call me old-fashioned. The end. Call me old-fashioned. That's fine. I'll be old-fashioned.
1: RP3 is just committed to providing you with great sports talk here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana. Sports Station.
6: No errors and, and two walks on the night. I knew that we could pitch baseball and we needed a start like that. And Tib was adamant. He wanted Moody to go out and he did. He looked like a big bull, big Bramble bull up there tonight. They got to him early, but he didn't flinch. No glass jaw. Uh, and winds up finishing the game really with three pitches, uh, all for strikes, and could have stayed out there. But I don't want to run his pitch count up. It's his third appearance already, and uh, it's, it's too early in the season. I thought David came in, had a great tempo. They just they strung a couple of knocks together on him, uh, and then Coop matches up, and, and uh, then Marsh comes in with that that uh, that dagger slider he had tonight, and that was that. He was able to locate it when he can locate it. He's tough.
2: That is Raging Cajun baseball coach Matt Deggs and apparently a um, troop of actors behind him setting up a stage. Uh, (laughs) I love love trying to get post-game audio at baseball because it is always so much going on on the field behind the scenes. It's just like, okay. (laughs) It's just always a struggle. Always a struggle. I love when they start getting the mowers going. Now, thankfully, they've started changing that over at UL, where they, 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 they put up the hand. The SIDs will put up the hand and go, guys, we're trying to do some interviews with the media. Can you not go out there and run the tractor? Just, just wait five minutes. I was just- going to say, I don't think
3: it's mowers because it's turf, so it'd be, pretty, it'd be pretty pointless to cut turf.
2: Well, they're all big mowers. They're just raking the field. Yeah. They're still technically using a mower. I guess so. Ah, two degrees coming at me again. Fancy education. This man here. 4-3 victory over BYU. Cajuns now improved to 3-1 on the the, the early season here. And uh, Mason Zambo delivered three RBIs in the contest. And look, they were down. You heard Degs talk about it. BYU jumped out to an early one nothing lead with a two-out double by Austin Dimming, But then... UL kept the Cougars close, and they finally answered there in the bottom of the fourth. Julian Brock got a double off an error, and then Zambo brought him into a score to make it 1-1, and then they just kept chipping away, but then BYU regained the lead in the top of the seventh, drew a walk with one out, followed by an RBI double to make it 2-1. But then later in the inning, Ozzie Pratt delivered for the second time in the contest. RBI doubled down the first baseline to score Wilk and extend the lead to then 3-1. to one. That Then came the bottom of the eighth. Started with a hit by a pitch and a walk, then a failed pickoff attempt at second. You always love it when the other team just kind of starts to melt down. Because that's what happened. I mean, the, the Cajuns took advantage. Zambo did his job driving in the run after he drew a full count hit that base hit into the outfield to score a pair and tie up the game but really that was kind of set up by BYU just kind of not doing their job then Caleb uh, Stelly pinch hits for Connor Higgs and delivered in a big way singling to left field to score Ben Robichaud who was pinch running for Zambo and gave the Cajuns a 4-3 lead heading into the ninth Blake Marshall came on to pitch the final two innings for the Cajuns and shut the door the 4-3 victory I love when I see a team Dawson get tested get pushed they didn't have their best night right they just didn't yet they still found a way to win the game and did so with some late inning heroics Zambo was huge but also they got good relief pitching they took advantage of the miscues I know it's early it's really early right we're talking it's the fourth game of the season But I like seeing a team get tested this way and not play their best game yet, yet still find a way to pull it out. There's a lot of teams that never find a
3: way, that never figure out how to win games. Um, And and when I say, like, obviously they'll win games throughout the season. But um, I, I really think it's kind of an innate thing when a team and an identity has the ability to find ways to win games in different ways. And a lot of teams take the entire year to figure that out. Last year's team maybe kind of took more time than they should have to figure it out. But they figured it out in the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. Um, and that led them to the regionals where they then won a game in a regional. And, and it looks like this is maybe the next step. Feels like a Matt Deggs ball club already. And, you know, I, yeah, look, BYU kicked it around last night. They made four errors and you took advantage. Now that's that's key. And I don't think, yeah, that's... BYU's mistakes led to UL's opportunities last night, but that's what you have to do is take advantage of them and to be down 3-1 to one, and to need the big hit and for Zambo to come through, I mean, that's huge. And look, they did it against Rice in the first game, the Friday yep. night. I mean, you're starting the season, and Heath Hood hits a two-run homer when you needed a big when you needed a big lift. So they've done it a few times already. They've won a few one-run games. And then, I mean, look, Marshall came in and shut the door in the ninth inning. Struck out the
2: side in order on 11 pitches. So And to your point... You know, I, I, I said, I've said this before, you know, Diggs took over an impossible situation. I mean, before the man even managed his first game for the Cajuns, taking over for the late great Tony Robichaux, they were unveiling a statue, Dawson, of Robe. Everyone was still emotional. And I, I've said this before, it was, almost, it, was a, it was almost a blessing where it was a curse for the softball team that COVID happened and they had to cancel the rest of their season. I think it was the best thing to happen for the baseball program because it gave everyone time separation from Robes passing and let there be a true reset with Matt Deggs at the helm. But that second year, he was still trying to find his way, right? Last year, it took a little while, but it felt like it was finally Matt Deggs' team and it wasn't Matt Deggs coaching Tony's team, if that makes any sense. And that happened last year. We saw the transition. This team, right off the bat, feels like Matt Deggs' team again. They're playing his style of baseball. And if you're a Raging Cajun baseball fan, that's exactly what you want to see early in the season like this. If this team is already kind of really already embracing and already feels like a Matt Deggs coach team, and the thing about being a Matt Deggs coach team, you know what they don't do? They don't panic. They didn't panic last night. And the Raging Cajun skipper talked about the fact that his team just doesn't panic.
6: They don't panic. I, I don't uh they run they run themselves. And uh they kept their head about them it was a total team effort and uh for the freshman to come off the bench right there and gather that hit uh i thought hood was tremendous tonight zambo after his first at bat settled in and, and showed zambo we saw all spring training uh and then comes up with the big game tire right there jew strung together some good at bats we just weren't clicking tonight offensively and we can click but uh Sometimes you got to tip your cap to the guy across the field, and I thought that young man gave gave those guys a tremendous start. And uh, it was three pitches and, and fastball, a couple of different types of fastballs. He was able to sink it. He was able to elevate. And we just never could get comfortable. It was a tough night to hit, wind in the face. and uh, But what I liked, just as, and I know Coach Rowe would be proud, what we were able to do tonight was pitch it and defend it. And that gave us a chance to win it late.
3: I think – they recorded the post-game audio in an airport terminal i think that's i think i figured it out i think that's where they went
2: the the, one of the things that i love about going to a game at the teague is this the fans get to go on the field afterwards right and the kids get to sign autograph get autographs or take their have their pictures taken with the players the families get to come out there they get to hug and, and do everything so it's a great family atmosphere but yeah, it's 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 as if you're in an airport terminal that's a, that's a very good description. <laughs> so <laughs> what it's like there and and here's the thing. they got the win. the win did play a role, right? To be fair, they didn't play their best game they get a win. They're gonna have to be sharper offensively in the next few games because BYU did not throw their one of their two best pitchers yesterday.
3: Yeah, so here's here's my big takeaways. I know again, it's 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 hard to read too too far into anything when it's you're early. playing game four yes. of 56 or whatever it is they play this year. But uh, one of my big concerns for this pitching staff overall now the difference is it wasn't a staff effort tonight. It was a couple of guys, but you walked a ton of guys in that first weekend, and that really was concerning. Only two walks last night, one for Moody in six innings, which Moody. Probably put himself in the conversation to be in the weekend rotation now. We'll see. We'll see what the rest of the guys look like tonight. We'll see if uh, I I would assume Jackson Neza's going to have to be pretty good on Saturday to kind of keep his spot after what was a really rough outing at Rice. I would agree to that. So Moody kind of puts himself in that conversation. Um, You had two walks as a staff, though, and that's that's what you need moving forward. And he had eight strikeouts as well. He looked really good. And then Blake Marshall, again, an inning and two-thirds. He strikes out all five batters he faces. So uh, he came in, and and we've heard some things coming into the season about Blake Marshall. I was waiting to kind of wait and see. I think he showed you last night. He gave you a glimpse that uh, maybe he's going to be a high-end, back-end reliever for this team. Um, But overall, that was really encouraging for me, the fact that the pitching staff controlled the zone through strikes. Um, They also, you know, he was pretty effective, and everybody who came in pretty much was. Christie had a rough inning there, but... Overall that's that's something to move forward with. I think the offense I'm not, you know, the offense is going to come and we've seen the, the the offense is the side we've already seen for, with most of these guys and we know again Julian Brock and Max Marshak goes those guys who are off to slow starts it's four games they're going to figure things out. Absolutely. So the pitching staff last night was a big step forward, and we'll see. This BYU team uh, is is probably pretty good. We again we don't know too too much about them right now. They but,
2: took two of four at the Love Shack.
3: Yeah, who was a you know, and and we'll see how Tech is this year as in in comparison to their team that made it's a nice tournament, tournament run yeah. last year. But um, this seems like a, a step up in competition from Rice, and last night was a great first step. You got three more, and so again we'll, we'll continue to see. Another thing to kind of point out: it's early, in winning these series isn't like. Crucial to your season success, but Brandon Moody giving you six innings when you got a four game stretch right here, four games in four days, which again is a little bit unique in college, usually mm-hmm. playing three game series. Giving them six innings and kind of making sure they didn't have to use too many guys last night, that's big for the rest of the series. Now, on the other hand, Hanson did the same thing for BYU. He gave them seven. So both teams got big starts, which kind of conserves their pitching staff. So we should get a good game tonight again
2: at the Teague. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we're going to open up the phone lines. Game hotline will be open, and I assure you, Dawson will try to get you on the air. You just got to be nice to him. No jokes about him having two degrees and using fancy words on the radio. Okay, that's my job, not yours. That's mine, not yours. Hotline 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. We'll talk the poll question and more next right here on the game.
1: This is RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Do you think RP3 is the only
2: nickname Ray has? Think again. Uh there was Little Veinant. There was Little Foot, Little Bubba. There was LD, which stood for Little Dufo. There was Ray Dog. There was Ray Diggity Dog. There was Fish. There was Fish Face. There was RP3. There was even Romundo from El Segundo.
1: Back to the host with more nicknames than he knows what to do with. RP3, RP3 right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake, Lake Charles, Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
2: Yesterday was Ash Wednesday, which means, Dawson, you missed out on something yesterday. Yesterday was Ash Wednesday, which means the little one was out of school. She refers to herself when she walks into this building as HP1, by the way. Hattie Elise Parch, my daughter. So we had Ash Wednesday services at noon. Went to that, came back to the office for a little while. She wanted to come back to the office with me. She loves coming here. And um, apparently, Miguel did not um, either not love the drawing that had he made for him, which I doubt that's the case. Or he simply left this drawing of an alien for you, since you weren't here to receive one live in person because she came here and then uh, drew these alien pictures for everyone and then delivered them while also giving them the business, which she likes to do to both Matt and James. So this alien picture right here, bud, I'm going to go ahead and pass it along to you so you can have one. You can be part of the crew because you haven't experienced the hp oneness yet. You will. It will happen. You just uh, were unable to be part of it yesterday.
3: I'll probably try and work on getting that framed, and then we'll go from there.
2: Boom! She takes over. She also likes to come into the studio and uh, cut some promos. I'm not kidding either. <laughs> She'll put on the headset. She'll be like, yes, yes, hello, HP1 here, hanging out with RP3, my dad. She's a barrel of fun, man. Good kid, too. Good kid. So we're having fun with the poll question of the day, right? I hope the Saints get Derek Carr. I really, really do. I, I, I do. For 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 Saints fans' sanity, I hope they do. Do I think getting Derek Carr is the magic elixir this team needs? I'm going to be real with you. No. I, I, I'm just being honest. You get Derek Carr, you're maybe a playoff team. Maybe. Because when I look at this team, Dawson... I don't see a great roster. I see some good players. I see some very good players. I even see some great players. But you know when I look at this team, you know what I see? I see a need all across the offensive line. In particular, in the interior. I see a need at running back, especially with Alvin Kamara more than likely going to be suspended at least six games. Seeing the video and the additional footage that was dropped last night or yesterday during the day... Right before we got off the air, I think. Uh, Not optimal. Not optimal at all. Even if he's found innocent, which I don't think he's going to be. But I'm not a lawyer, not a law expert. Okay. The NFL is still going to drop the hammer on him. So he's going to be gone at least six games. At least six. Maybe more. But you needed a running back anyway. So when I look at this team, they need running back. They need a downhill runner and not force Kamara to have to be Latavius Murray. When he's not Latavius Murray, he's Alvin Kamara. They need a running back. They need an interior lineman, in particular a left guard that can stay healthy and play. They need a wide receiver, at least one, if not two. They need defensive line help. Who's going to play D-tackle for this team? They don't have enough depth. They need another D-tackle, at least one or two. They need some more pass rushers. Cam Jordan's not getting any younger. And they still need some help in the back end. And they need a kicker. I know quarterback helps cover up a lot of that, Dawson. I I understand that. But Derek Carr's not Drew Brees. He's just not. So you get Derek Carr, okay, maybe you're an 8-9 win team and you're a playoff team. But this team still has a ton of needs if they want to be a legitimate contender. Adding Derek Carr is not the Magic Elixir. He just isn't.
3: I don't think they have a ton of needs. I think they have a ton of wants. I think they have a couple of needs. Um, now, again, yeah, I, I think the ceiling for this team, no matter how the offseason shakes out, uh, is probably about 11 wins anyway. That's probably, like, best-case scenario the way I look at it. Um, which, again, yeah, is not going to put you as a legitimate Super Bowl contender. But... I think you have to maximize what you have left with this core group of guys that includes Cam Jordan and Demario Davis. Um the interior offensive lineman thing I think is more of a want than a need, to be oh, honest with you. Um, I disagree.
2: I disagree because you Andrews Pete is a liability and in their interior, their offensive line, Ruiz was good on the right. The left side was a detriment this year. It just was. I think McCoy comes
3: back, and I think Ruiz has taken the next step, and I think whoever you find there for that left interior spot is less important than some of the other positions out there. The other thing is that all their needs or their you know wants, I'm calling them in some situations, are not high-priced positions, which I think is a point Foot brought up, and I agree with it. They don't have a need the pass rusher thing certainly a want because they have guys who are capable there. Cam Jordan had another good year, and until he shows you that he's going to slow down, I think you have to continue to rely on him. If you get anything out of Peyton Turner, it's going to be a bonus, and Carl Granderson kind of proved to you that he can be a rotational guy. He had a good year. The Saints were top 10 in the league in sacks this year. I mean, as strange as that sounds, they were. So um, I think interior defensive line is certainly one of the needs, but again, that's not a high-priced position. I think you can go out there and get a pretty good player at the back end of the first round or early second round. Um, the secondary... Again, that's more wants than needs. You have two capable guys. Matthew played better down the stretch. If Marcus May comes back and plays a little bit better than he did, then you're okay. Cornerback
2: spot's pretty solid. But you're saying, but see, this is where we're going to differ. And I'm not trying to argue for argument's sake. You say he has the potential, or if he plays better. There's no guarantee that any of these guys will play better. There's no guarantee that Peyton Turner will be better or actually play. Like So, you, you, But again, you, you're, you're not... You're, you're, you're assuming that they will be, or... You're making decisions assuming that these guys will finally live up to their potential. And my, my counterpoint is: there's no guarantee that they will. That's fair, but again, what I'm saying:
3: Peyton Turner is going to be a rotational guy. He's not going to be an every-down player anyway, so you don't need him. If he's not great, so what? Put him to the side. Like that's. Yeah, but you used
2: a first-round pick on a guy that's.
3: what that's a in the so past. What? Like I, I, I think again, like re, you have to recalibrate expectations for guys at a certain point. And right now, Peyton Turner is a guy who has still has good upside. But, like, I no longer think of him as a first-round pick. And I know sometimes logistically in the front office that kind of influences what guys get paid in the future. But, like, to me, he's no longer a first-round pick. Just Correct. like Marcus Davenport's no longer a first-round pick to me. Like, yeah, he was a first-round pick, and you use that on him. But that's a sunk cost. It's gone. It's over with. So if the guy can't play, then you have to move on. And I think they're going to do that. Now, in some situations, like, the talent, you still see the talent through. But Marcus Mays a guy who's proven in the league. Now, he didn't have a good year, and he had some legal issues as well, and we'll see if he comes back. But again. He's his level of play wasn't like detrimental to the team. And you saw Sorensen come in and make some plays down the stretch. So I'm not saying this is a, a – they're not in, – in no shape or form are they going to be Super Bowl favorites at any point, no matter who they put together with this roster. But you, I think you owe it to the guys that are left in the core to maximize what you have left. And I think if you bring in Derek Carr and you shore up some of those spots, you could be a 10-11 win team, maybe a second-round playoff team. And then again, who knows, maybe you catch fire in January. That's all it takes in the NFL.
2: So you think this team has the potential to win 10 or 11 games? Not in its current constructed state, but if
3: if a few things go right, so So
2: how do you get it there?
3: Um, I think it starts with Derek Carr. And again, that's kind of what we're talking about here, right? If Derek Carr comes in, that's the start. I think using that first-round pick on, you know, you could use it on a running back if you had to, but I would prefer it on an interior defensive lineman because I think that's the biggest quote-unquote need on the roster. Uh, You'll certainly have to bring in some offensive line depth throughout whether it's free agency or in the draft. And then... I think maybe bringing in some competition in the secondary. We'll see what they do there. It looks like Sorensen's going to walk, but what about wide receiver? Yeah, that's that's the that's the more intriguing question to me. Once you get quarterback solved, because Michael Thomas is the guy you need when it looks when you when you talk about the type of receiver and what you need missing in the offense. I don't know if that's really realistic given the situation and the state of the relationship there. Mm, so fair. if you don't. If you don't find Michael Thomas, then I think it, it opens up a whole lot of different options, but you have to find somebody who, who can at least do a similar job to what he can do because you have the speed threats, you have Olave over the top, and Shahid's a really nice player in the slot. Correct. Um, the next step is clearly finding that possession big body mm-hmm. guy. Uh, Jawan Johnson kind of took some steps to being a, a help to that at the tight end spot, but you need somebody who can do it on the outside as well. So that one becomes interesting to me, but yeah, that that would be... Again, that's I wouldn't call it as much a need as a as a want, but you have to you're going to put someone in that role. The question is, can you find a guy who can excel and be a plus player or are you
2: going to have to replace it with a league average player at that spot? They have to fill those spots, but they also have to they have to they're at a crossroads in my opinion. They have to hit on their draft picks because those draft picks are going to be huge and if they're able to turn a corner and get back to being a 10-win team, they got to figure out running back. Because you can't run back Kamara again like you did last year in that role. You just can't. And he's going to be suspended for six games. They will address it, too. I think there's no question. Uh, well, they, they, they keep trying to address it by taking guys off the trash heap that haven't been relevant in two to three years and signing them. Uh, it, and it's not, it hasn't worked. It didn't work last year. It didn't work the year before. But so if you're going to try to that, – that's my problem. They, they're going to have to make some decisions – to help this team you can't try to do it on the cheap again you just can't if you go out there and you try to get some guy that you know it was on the practice squad and has been in the league for five years that ain't working that ain't working now Bijan Robinson I don't think that's out of the realm of possibilities if he falls to them I just don't they like taking running backs in the first round They have a long history of doing it, even when they already have a running back that they took on the first round already on the roster. You're higher on their potential than I am. We'll agree to disagree there. Poll question of the day. We'll update that next right here on the game.
1: This is RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are two types of sports reporters. Those who are respected for their ability at building relationships with coaches and players. And here's our game plan. Then there are those whose method of reporting is getting hammered with a college football team at Pat O's. We're going streaking! We'll let you guess which one RP3 is. Back to more RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports
2: Station. Full question of the day. If the Saints don't sign Derek Carr, what should they do? Fifty percent of you say draft a rookie early. Twenty nine percent say bring in another veteran. Twenty one percent say bring back Andy Dalton. Red rifle time. Hart says, suspensions aside, do you think it's a real possibility that the team cuts AK if convicted of charges? No. They're not gonna they're they're not gonna cut him. They'll keep him. Ralph says, unpopular take, but roll with Taysom Hill for a year with a cheap vet backup. If it happens to work, great. If not, welcome to NOLA, Caleb Williams. Need to shore up O-line, interior, defensive line, running back and safety this draft unless Hooker falls to the third.
3: I agree with a lot of that, except the Caleb Williams talk. Again, there's no situation in which this roster's bad enough to get Caleb Williams, but I like the idea of Taysom. It'd be fun.
2: I agree with that well. There's too much talent on the roster to be you know, a top three pick. They'll do just enough to be like a seven-win team and be out of the top ten. Ralph says, but if the Falcons sign Lamar Jackson, it will be imperative, that's a Dawson word, that the Saints get Baker Mayfield. We will get to witness via foot modern medicine's capabilities with blood pressure meds. <laughs> Keep those votes coming. And it's comments coming on the poll question of the day. Oh, Baker Mayfield, come on down. Hour number two in the books. Hour number three. We'll kick it off with Les East of CrescentCitySports.com. That's next.
0: Whoa! yeah oh
1: yeah
0: everything 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 gonna be all
6: right this morning
0: live from the delta media
1: studios in upper lafayette here is producer dawson iserlo and your big bald beautiful host raymond parts the third better known as rp3
2: Poll question of the day as we enter hour number three here in RP Three and Company. The Saints don't sign Derek Carr. What should they do? Fifty percent of you say draft a rookie early, and that is just a terrible decision. I, I'm just I'm just gonna tell you right now, awful, awful decision. Awful decision. Dennis Allen, Pete Carmichael have not proven that they understand how to execute their offense. And do you trust them to develop a quarterback? Quarterbacks fail in the NFL because they get drafted too high for one. They get forced to be the team's savior. And they're on a roster that's not complementary to what they need to do. And thirdly, they're put in situations where they're not prepared. Bad coaching. Do you trust Dennis Allen and Pete Carmichael to take a quarterback and not ruin them? We see quarterbacks get ruined every single year. They're drafted too high. They're not developed properly. They're forced to be the savior before they're ready. Look at all the teams that have been consistently winners in the NFL in the last 20 years. New England with Tom Brady. The defense special teams running game was already established. He got to be the backup. Got to come in to take over. Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay same situation he took over for another hall of fame quarterback seattle with russell wilson defense was built running game was already there they had some complimentary pieces in the wide receiving game he beat out matt flynn took over as the starting quarterback with a ready-made roster jalen hurts in philadelphia took over didn't have to be the guy immediately took over patrick mahomes in kansas city took over got to sit and wait you throw out a rookie quarterback too early, boys and girls. You ruin them because the majority of them aren't ready. They don't get coached. They can't be the savior. Very few guys can take over as rookies and lead their teams. Those guys are minuscule. They are minimal in the history of professional football. So if you think drafting a quarterback in the top 10 and the Saints finding a way to somehow draft a quarterback early and he's going to be able to turn around the fortunes of your franchise you need to put down inhaling paint thinner and take a step back because that does not work does not work to talk more about the Saints and the Pels who get back in action tonight against the Toronto Raptors is our friend from CrestonCitySports.com Mr. Les East joins us now. Les, hope you had a safe and happy Mardi Gras. Brother, how are you this morning?
7: I'm doing well, Raymond. It was a good Mardi Gras. And how are you?
2: I'm doing great, bud. I'm doing great. I still get all amped up for folks who think drafting a quarterback high is always the the great uh, savior for your franchise. So I, I digress. So Derek Carr is out there. He's being courted. We know the Jets are... Use a basketball term, uh, putting on a full court press. We know Carolina interested, and obviously the Saints are interested. What if the Saints can't get Derek Carr? What do they do then?
7: Well, I think they they look for another veteran quarterback. Uh, you know, there's been speculation that they might be interested in Baker Mayfield. I'm not sure that that would be a solution. Uh, but it would be an option to consider. Uh, Certainly Jimmy Garoppolo is somebody who's probably going to be on the market. Uh, I think I may have said this before, I think a a, a viable option that's not getting a lot of attention is is possibly Ryan Tannehill, whose days in Tennessee appear to be over. He would obviously be a short-term circumstance. So I, I think one of those three guys or another veteran in a, a similar in a similar situation would be somebody they would look at now I certainly don't rule out drafting a quarterback at some point but they're they're not going to draft their 2023 starting quarterback and they may draft a youngster who can try and develop behind one of the veterans whether it's Carr or one of the people I mentioned or somebody else uh, it's possible they could bring in a couple of quarterbacks, one for the short term and one who will eventually uh, take over down the road. So um, you know there, there are a lot of options out there. I, I still think the car thing is very much in play, uh, but there are other veteran options they can turn to if that doesn't work out.
2: What's the timeline here, a realistic timeline, about the Derek Carr situation or about any quarterback situation right now for the Saints, Les? I mean, fans are clamoring, wanting news every day, right? Wanting some type of resolution. But what's the realistic timeline here for the Saints to be able to sign a quarterback, in your opinion? Well, I think
7: the... Probably, you know, Carr's in an unusual spot because of his, his contract situation. They, they don't have to wait for the free agency to begin to, to come to a, a deal with him. So, you know, it could happen in the next uh, in next week or two. I, I thought it would happen fairly quickly, but he's doing his due diligence, which is understandable. His brother came out the other day and said it going to be a long process I'm not sure what that means. I I don't think it's going to be terribly long. I think it will probably be uh, in the next week or two that something gets done with Derek Carr. If it's not Derek Carr, then you probably go into free agency, which I believe is March 15th. is going to be the first day of the new league year. Um, where they can go in the open market. You know, the the other possibility, this is a little bit risky, is you hold off until the draft, see what you're able to get out of the draft, and then go into the second wave of free agency looking for your veteran. Of course, at that point, the pickings might be pretty slim, so I, I don't think that's the ideal scenario. But there are really three... Time frames here, the, the pre-new league year, the very beginning of free agency, and then the draft and post-draft. But I, I still think the car gets resolved here before the start of free agency. And then, you know, you have about a three-day window to negotiate with veteran free agents before you start signing them. So you're looking at somewhere around March 13th is when you're going to start hearing news about deals being cut. So it's not going to be that long, but it's probably not going to be today or tomorrow either.
2: Does Aaron Rodgers and his situation, whether or not he's going to go back to Green Bay or if he's going to leave or if he's just going to stay in his darkness retreat or go host Jeopardy or whatever he wants to do, is that going to hold up? everything else because obviously teams are going to want to covet Rogers more than Carr. Or do we see a situation where teams may just get impatient and say, you know what, we're tired of waiting on Mr. Personality to make a decision. We're going to go get our guy. Like like the Jets, could they just decide, you know what, we're not waiting on Rodgers. We'll just go get Derek Carr. Well it's possible. I you know I think the the Jets uh Are interested in Aaron Rodgers.
7: They've already spoken to the Packers about his potential availability. So I think Rodgers' decision has an impact on the Jets, which can create a ripple effect around the league. But I don't think there are a whole lot of teams, you know, sitting there, you know, just pining away for an opportunity to go after Aaron Rodgers. He's going to cost. Uh, a lot in uh in, in terms of uh trade and salary and uh he's going to bring some baggage with him so uh, uh i i don't think that he's a lot of teams are waiting to see what he does but i do think the jets are a team that is uh going to look and see what he uh whether or not he's a viable option for them and that could affect um their relationship with Derek Carr, which has a trickle-down effect. So Rodgers does have an impact on the market, but I think it's kind of limited to the Jets and maybe uh, one or two other, to this point, unnamed teams. I don't think it affects the Saints directly. I think it is possible at some point the Jets could say, we're tired of waiting on Aaron to, to return to the sunlight and uh, we'll go ahead and grab Derek Carr, but I don't think we're at that point yet. So uh, I just think the key word here is going to be patience. I think the Saints are still very much in the running for Derek Carr, but there's going to be competition, and um, he's looking for a lot of money because he, he lost out on a lot of money in uh, Las Vegas, and he's hoping to get that back, and he's going to leverage as many teams as he can to try and get that
2: as he should because that's what the market will allow him to do we're talking with lessees of christencitysports.com he joins us here on rp3 and company all right les uh, look we already knew running back was going to be a position of need for the saints ingram is washed up and alvin Kamara was not used the right way this past season and they have problems with depth anyway and they don't have a true downhill runner as it is but Now Kamara has been officially indicted for the incident over Pro Bowl weekend in Las Vegas, and the video gets released, more of the video gets released. It sure does seem to me that we can expect Kamara to be suspended for at least six games this coming season. Is that what you're anticipating?
7: Yeah, I would think so. Uh, The the video I've seen to this point, I don't think, Changes things a whole lot, though it's going to get played more than the Zapruder film between now and the start of next season. But it doesn't shed a whole light on it, okay? This poor guy, and he may have instigated this. I'm not saying that the guy who got beat up is totally without some blame. I don't know, because the video doesn't show what preceded the beating. But the guy was beaten very badly by a group of people that included included Alvin Kamara. But we already knew that, okay, and we're seeing him get beat up, and it's not pleasant to look at. But I don't know that it brings any more clarity to the situation uh, than we already knew. We knew that uh, a group of people, including two strong NFL players, one of whom is Alvin Kamara, beat the hell out of this guy and put him in the hospital. And uh, the, the, the tape, doesn't show a whole lot beyond what we already knew from what we had read so
2: yeah but roger goodell I, gets to watch the tape and that's the important part here isn't it Les?
7: well it is but also you know what happens does he get convicted in court if he does get convicted to uh, what charge is he convicted of does he settle out of court so he doesn't get convicted and if so How much does he pay? So I think there are a lot of factors, and and Roger Goodell is is certainly capable of uh, rushing to judgment and making a decision based on things other than relevant facts. So, yeah, the fact that he sees the video is going to be one of the factors that goes into this. But, you know, we've known for over a year that Alvin Kamara at some point was going to have to be disciplined by the league. And six games was probably going to be the floor for that suspension. And uh, I don't know that that's changed much.
2: Do you believe, now that he's officially been indicted, do you anticipate the suspension happening for the 2023 season?
7: Yeah, I think so. Because I I think the legal proceedings are finally going to run their course. I think that the... The formal indictment in court is going to take place in March, or at least it's scheduled for March. It's been delayed for more than a year now. I, I've got to believe both sides are looking to move forward and get this out of the way fairly quickly. So I would think the legal proceedings, one way or another, are, are going to be taken care of, possibly in the offseason uh, or preseason or early season, early fall and then the, the uh, discipline action, disciplinary action will come somewhere along the way and be enforced during the 23 season. That's my guess, but we've already had three or four significant delays in this
2: thing already. All right, Bud, we'll get you out of here with this. only got a, a minute or so. Pelicans start the second half of the season tonight against the Toronto Raptors. What are you wanting to see out of Willie Green's team tonight when they take the floor?
7: Well, I want to see them playing like it's post-All-Star break because when the All-Star break ends, you can see the good teams come out immediately and they look like they have a playoff edge to how they're going to play. And uh, there's only 23 games, I believe, left for the Pelicans. Uh, so there has to be a sense of a sense of urgency. They, they need to look fresh. But the main thing they need to see is they need to see the Brandon Ingram that we saw in the play in games and the Phoenix series last spring uh, because uh, Zion Williamson is not going to be there for a while. And Brandon Ingram's going to have to carry this team the way he carried them at the end of last season. And he's capable of that. And we've seen glimpses of it, but we need to see it uh, big time beginning tonight.
2: Les, appreciate your time as always, brother. Uh, enjoy your upcoming weekend. And we'll talk to you next Thursday, my friend. Thanks, Raymond.
1: This is RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You know how some fellas don't care how they look? I mean, a few of you are rocking sweatpants that haven't been washed in days. Ew. Not to worry, my dear unkempt friend. RP3 and Company is a judgment-free zone. Hell, sometimes these guys don't even wear pants. I would like to extend to you an invitation to the pants party. Excuse me? The party. The pants with the pants. Party with pants. Now back to the hopefully fully clothed RP3. On the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. <laughs>
2: If you're looking to improve your game, if you're looking to help your child or your teenager improve their game as well, you've heard us talk about it. Skill Masters is the way to go. They boost players' and coaches' development and also give these athletes plenty of exposure. And joining us now again, as he does every week, is Jacob Henderson with Skill Masters. Jacob, good day to you, brother. How are you, my friend? Good morning. I'm doing good. How about yourself? Doing great, Bud. Doing great. I know we've been talking a lot of golf with your golf pro, Thomas Wartell, and we'll get to him here in a moment. But I know talking to you that you got some exciting news to share with our listeners about the Skill Masters app that's coming up. What can you tell us, Bud?
8: Yeah, absolutely. So um, starting April 1st, um, we're going to be launching a soccer skills challenge where kids again free to get on the application can get on and compete for prizes like Xboxes, gift cards, et cetera. So we're super excited to announce it. We think we'll have about ten thousand kids. We already got two thousand pre-registered for it as we open this up. Um, and it's gonna be an exciting time. You know, it's gonna be kind of March Madness to go along with the theme of, of the, you know, time of the year where you know we'll start with what we think is about ten thousand and then every, you know, challenge we'll cut it in half till we get to a final sixty four. And then once we get to final 64, it's going to get real exciting. We're going to go one-on-one live where we'll be live streaming the two kids that are going at it competing uh, at the Skills Challenge to kind of see who advances.
2: Well, that's amazing. And when and when is this going to happen again for the people listening?
8: Yeah, this is going to start uh, April 1st. So you can actually, like, go into the application now just, like, so get registered. And then starting uh, about the second week in March, March 15th, we're going to send out and open up the first round for the competition. So the first round of the competition will run – You know, once we open it up till the end of the first week in April. And then, like I said, you know, if we have 10,000 kids, the top 5,000 will move on to the next round. And then we'll keep going down that same path till we get to the last 64.
2: Jacob, that's amazing news. Thank you for letting us uh, let everyone know about that, brother. Can't wait to see how that goes and how the folks are going to get so excited about it. Now we're going to transition over to Thomas. Thomas, we've been spending the last few weeks talking about how you and this app helps the modern golfer, helps uh, folks out there struggling. We've spent a lot of time talking about how I struggle, and we've had a lot of fun with that. But, you know, we kind of touched on the short game last week, and I want to I want to circle back that uh, to that again. You know, when I'm out on the course, and, and my buddies, and we go out there and we, we shoot a round, the thing that I'm the most inconsistent with is my wedges. I, I, I struggle with figuring out, how far back I need to go with it, how hard I need to hit it. Of all the the clubs that I have in my bag, when I go out there, my wedge game is the thing that I struggle the most with because I can never figure out the distance. I can never figure out the strength or how far back I need to go, how far I need to go through with my swing. Is that something pretty common with just the average golfer is the short game in particular, the wedge game?
5: Oh, it's it's very common because most people don't spend the time uh – a, practicing, and uh, and also their technique is flawed. So one of the things we do here at Skillmasters and the academy is we, we touch upon and we work a lot with uh, how we return that wedge at impact because probably one of the reasons why you struggle with distance control is not just you don't know how far but your technique is flawed. In other words, if you have a 56-degree wedge, and normally there's something called shaft lean, so we're leaning that shaft a little bit, and the, you know, the pros are coming in on an angle of attack of about 5 degrees downward. So a 56 becomes a 51, and then they have a little bit of shaft lean as well, so they're about 50, 48 degrees at impact. Well, the problem is, is those pros out there, they deliver that shaft the same way 100 times in a row that club face the same way 100 times in a row, whether it's a 25 yard shot, 50 yard shot, 75. So then it gets, besides the quality of the strike, you know, hitter in the center of the club face, it gets a lot easier to control your distance when you have the same angle every single time, the same club face angle, degrees loft, if you can think of it like that. So what's happening to a lot of average golfers, and it could be something that's happening to you, is one time you deliver it and you scoop it and you're taking that 56-degree and you're making it a 65-degree impact because you flip it and scoop it, and the next time you get too steep and you get too shallow and you deliver it at 42 degrees or, or something like that, well, it's very difficult to control your distance. I mean, think about it. If you're coming in, it's basically like playing with uh, five or six different irons in your, in your hand, like playing with a 7-iron, an 8-iron, a 9-iron, a wedge, because you're delivering it different every single time. So the mark of good wedge players is they deliver – the club face at impact the same way every single time, and they maintain their speed, so they have a consistent speed. For instance, myself, I know with my 58-degree wedge, if I swing my lead arm parallel to the ground on my back swing, then my, my normal speed through the shot, I'm going to hit it 50 yards. And uh, it's kind of kind of that as a pendulum on a clock. And I know if I go three-quarters of the way back, I'm going to hit it 75 yards. Uh, you know, Everybody's a little bit different. But my speed, even though in reality it's probably not exactly the same, I try to feel like my speed is maintained and stays the same. And the big killer, and I guarantee you, you're probably guilty of this, is decelerating. And people tend to decelerate on the short of the shot. So that little shot around the green, they actually take a long backswing and then they slow down on the downswing and they decel and then they're stupid. that sound familiar?
2: Oh, that's that sounds eerily familiar. <laughs> it sounds like and, and the next part you're going to tell me and after that shot, Raymond, you typically curse at your wedge and and yes, 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 I do, yes, I do, Thomas, and and then I curse at myself for being a big dummy because it it, it, it happens all the time. I I'll, I'll, I'll hit a nice shot and I'm like okay, but then I hit it too far. Like I always tip uh, typically hit it maybe seven to ten yards. Pass where i want it to be and then it gains momentum and it rolls back the back side of the green right and it goes all the way down towards the cart path or i do like you say i try to slow it down and then i'm 10 feet woefully short and the green's on a slant so i'm down below and then i've put myself in a bad position where i'm having to two putt yeah that's
5: that's a classic example you know so we pretty much, here at the skill masters and at the academy, we want to really create real solid technique. I always say you cannot have any feel until you have good technique. It's the same with putting. If you hit the putts out on the toe or the heel of the putter, even with the most forgiving uh, putters, the ball just doesn't roll the same distance that it rolls when you hit it in the sweet spot. So it's very difficult to have any feel or distance control. Because that's basically what feel is—is is distance control. If you don't hit the club face of the same point on the, if you don't hit the ball at the same point on the club face, and you don't have the same angle of attack or the same club face, what I call presentation at impact.
2: Thomas, I got to ask you this: the putter, boy, we see it on the tour, right? We see guys that maybe don't have the most strength, aren't the biggest bombers, but man, they can put like it's nobody's business and where some guys can maybe get on the green you know it's a par four they can get on there in three with a chance for birdie and they miss the birdie because their putt game is not strong yet a guy that you know can get on there you know the same amount he can drain those putts do people not just spend enough time practicing their putting 100
5: percent. and the problem with the quality and the way they practice their putting. So what differentiates a tour player and a average golfer is the tour players rarely three putt, and they rarely miss a three-footer, okay? So from 40 feet, they never roll it by 15 feet or leave it 15 feet short. From 40 feet, they're going to knock it up there about two feet or less, and they're going to make that putt. So uh, one of the, my premises is – we actually, again, we teach technique, feel, and playing the game. If you, don't have any, if you don't have good technique, all this is out the window. But after you have good technique, you've got to be able to knock down three-foot putts, okay? So we practice a lot of three-foot putts, and we practice a lot of long putts. If you take an average tour player from 15 feet and an, and an average golfer from 15 feet, do you know that the make percentage is almost negligible between you and a tour player from 15 feet? But the difference is is that tour player is never gonna three putt
2: from fifteen feet. I like that. I like that. It gives me it gives me hope because you get you made everyone out there listen right now, Thomas, are like, well well, well, I can be in the same I'm same breath as a tour player. But the difference is is that we think we do it enough, right? We think we go out there. And we, we get set up with our, with our fellas, and we go out there on the putting green, and we hit about 30 or 40 balls, and we think that's enough for a round of golf when it's re- in reality not nearly enough because we haven't putted a ball in three weeks. So how could 40 putts on the putting green actually be enough? It's just not.
5: And, and, and it gets worse because think of this. And I see even good players and, and even tour players, they don't practice putting properly. A lot of them do. Most of the tour players do nowadays. But if you, when you walk out to the course and say you get there early and you have plenty of time to practice your putting, well, the first thing I guarantee you do is you, you go from 10 or 15 feet and you start putting from 10 to 15 feet expecting to make it. Well, again, statistically, you're not going to make, the tour player is not going to make any more putts from 15 feet than you are, and it gets worse than that. Even on the most pristine greens like, say, Augusta National, which has perfect putting surfaces, there's still imperfection, so you can actually catch a footprint, you can catch a spike mark, you can catch whatever grain is a little bit one way or the other, and you know you go out and you sit and you putt ten, fifteen, foot putts. Oh, I'm ready to go to the golf course. Well, you actually have done nothing. You've only worked maybe on feel. You haven't really worked on technique, and you haven't worked on playing the game. The reality is, is the first thing you should do when you get to the golf course, to so the putting green, is go and putt. Putts less than three feet. And build your confidence, work on your stroke, get those three-footers, and then go to long putts, 25 foot or more, and try to get them close. I don't even practice 15-foot putts. I rarely hit a 15-foot putt. I'm always practicing short putts and long putts. I want to be better at short putting and better at long putting than than the other guy, and I know if I can do that, I'm going to make my share of 15-foot putts by accident.
2: Thomas? Where have you been uh, all my life, brother? With my golf game, I mean. I'm just, I'm. It's just, you're making me better week by week here, my friend. Thank you so much for your time, uh, bud. And I appreciate um, everything that you do when you come on here to talk to us about my golf game and everyone out there is listening. Golf game, you and Jacob keep up the tremendous work that you guys are doing with Skill Masters, and we'll talk to you next week, brother.
5: Thank you, man. We're gonna turn your game
2: around. It's coming. Appreciate that, man. Thank you. All right. Bye bye
1: this is rp3 and company on the game 1037 lafayette and 1041 lake charles southwest louisiana's sports station your home for the lsu tigers and houston astros rp3 is the epitome of a high roller
2: constantly making large bets But by doing that, the minimum bet is a dollar for a win, a dollar for a place, a dollar for a show. So it's essentially a three dollar bet that netted me a cool six dollars and seventy cents. What?
1: Okay, so he's not a risk taker. He's your best bet for sports talk. Nineteen, hit me. Twenty, hit me. Twenty-one, hit me. Twenty-two. No. Now back to more RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
2: Uh, the McNeese softball team has had a strong start to the season. They began the season, preseason as, uh, mind you, ranked as one of the top 40 teams in the country after coming off a great season where they won the Southland Conference Tournament and won a couple games in the Evanston Regional. Well, they're 8-3 and three to start this season, and they've already notched not one but two wins over top 25 opponents, defeating number 22 ranked North Texas on Sunday, 4-2, and then following that up with a 3-2 win over number 12-ranked Washington. They're gearing up for the Cowgirl Classic number 2 this weekend as they'll take on Stephen F. Austin twice and Ole Miss twice. Joining us now is the man in charge of the Cowgirls, James Landronow, joins us. Coach, good morning to you, brother. How are you?
9: Good morning. I'm doing great. I appreciate you guys having me this morning.
2: Well, appreciate you making the time, Coach. All right, so I know it's early. And you're still trying to find out some things about your team right, during yeah. this this period, but you've already notched some impressive wins. So what's your perspective, your take, so to speak, on your team's start to the year?
9: Yeah, you know, the biggest thing right now is to make sure we're not getting content. We're still trying to find ways to get better and grow every week. You know, we're still trying to figure out a couple things within our lineup and get some consistency from the offensive side. So. Uh, so long season, you know, we, we talk about the marathon all the time. Not to get too excited if you, if you win the first couple of miles, uh, it it really matters what you put, what kind of position you put yourself in for later in the season. And make sure that you're ready, you know, for postseason. And try to make a run at the end. So that that that's kind of our mindset right now. Is you know we had a played some really good games. I was proud for our team the way they handled those situations. I think they're very mature. Again, like, like in a north texas game and followed up after a long bus ride with uh, playing washington but you know can we have that consistency day in and day out that that's our focus right now
2: and and that you know kind of leads me to that point you know you have the great w- win over north texas that you followed up the next day with the win over washington but then on fat tuesday you guys drop a tough one to south alabama three to nothing you know how difficult is it early in the season when you're playing kind of a weird schedule or you're playing on days you typically wouldn't play on during conference play, uh, how much of a challenge is it to have the team be consistent that way?
9: Yeah, you know, what, what it comes down to is uh, I think that's what separates great teams, you know, from 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 good teams is the ability to stay focused throughout those processes and to be able to adapt to change. And, you know, maybe it's a little out the norm, but, you know, when our message to our players is, you know, when you can get down the, down the road and get into conference play or you get into a regional atmosphere or conference tournament, things don't always go as planned, and you have to be able to adapt and, and handle those situations. So, you know, I, I, look, we want to tip our hat. I thought South Alabama came in and played a great game. They scored three on the first, and we didn't have any answer. Lackey kid was, was excellent for them. Uh, but we have to make adjustments and we have to be able to play through those situations a little bit better than we have. So hopefully it's something we learn from and makes us better down the stretch. And um, and I hope, you know, the biggest thing is can we grow from those kind of games. Uh,
2: what does it mean to for you to have guided this program to the point now where not only you're, you know, considered one of the top 40 programs in the country, but you're to the point now where you're getting – Top fifteen ranked teams out of the Pac-12 to come to your place. You're getting Ole Miss, a perennial regional super regional team, to come to your place for a couple of games. You know, what does that mean to see the program, uh, kind of ascend to where it's at right now?
9: Yeah, it, it's exciting. You know, when, when we first started out here, you know, if you want, you just we're on the road so darn much, and, and so to be able to bring those kind of teams into our facility and and to our community for our fan base to get to watch live not on tv i think it's tremendous just for our area you know and we're fortunate you know we've been very blessed that we have been able to play a strong schedule and be able to get good home games for our fan base and i think that's why you know you keep seeing our fan base growing is because they actually get to watch us play against good quality teams week in and week out and, you know, for us as a program, just to be able to play in those kind of situations uh, is what you live for, right? It, every competitor wants to match up against the best guess the best there is and see how you stand up against it. And uh, so we're excited about it. We're excited about the momentum of the program, the excitement. Our community has just done a great job of getting behind us and supporting us. And we just want to keep this thing going and moving forward. You know, the biggest thing is for us not to get content and to make sure we're still trying to grow our program.
2: You know, Coach. When I look at your schedule, obviously you got Ole Miss twice this coming weekend, and then Grambling next week for your midweek game, and then you go over to the Longhorn Invitational, face uh, UL, Princeton, Texas, and then you have a three-game set against ULM, and then you play Houston. And that's all before conference play. Uh, look, you, you want to win more games than you lose. That's always the goal here. Yeah. But yeah. Wh- when you play a, a, a schedule with with a lot of quality opponents on it, what's the what's the main goal for you as the skipper to have that type of non-conference schedule before you begin conference play?
9: Yeah, it, you know, for us, it, it's how do our kids handle getting up? Because when you schedule that way, there's no days off. You, you can't take a, a day off mentally. And so, you know, our message to our players is when you get to a conference tournament, you have to be sharp. You have to be sharp for every single game. So if you haven't done it all year long, it's hard to ask your kids to all of a sudden have to do it. And then if you get into a regional play, you know, it's the same thing is after a big win, there's another team waiting to play and you got to get yourself up mentally to do it. And I think that's where a lot of teams fall short is being able to mentally play good on a consistent basis. And, you know, it, you know you look at sec teams and that's what they have to do every weekend is play at a high level so i i feel for our team it's very important that that we play those kind of first of all you get exposed in areas that you're weak so it gives you some areas to get better but the biggest thing is, is mentally how can i be sharp every single day i think that's a learned behavior
2: coach i got a minute but it's uh before we have to hit the break but i want to want to give you the microphone here uh, for for folks that maybe haven't seen your young women go out there and play, what what would you tell them to get them to come out to play to see you guys come out and play maybe this weekend?
9: I, I tell you what, if you want to watch young, you want to watch passionate, grateful kids compete. Uh, I think that's how our team does well. They love to compete. They love to play fast. They're an exciting brand. They're gonna do. They're gonna play the game the right way, and they're gonna be respectful. You know that they're great. Look. At the end of the game, they're so grateful to have fans here that they want to talk to them and visit. So I'm just proud of of the young people they are. Uh, You know, not only for what they do on the field, but how they handle themselves off the field. I think they're great role models for young athletes out there that are trying to pursue their dreams. So come out and support them. You know, we're excited to be able to bring this brand of softball to Southwest Louisiana, and and hopefully we get the support and the uh, community uh, agrees with us as well, as it's a great brand to play for
2: coach appreciate your time brother best of luck this weekend and we'll talk to you soon
9: appreciate you guys thanks for having me
1: this is rp3 and company on the game 1037 lafayette and 1041 lake charles southwest louisiana's sports station your home for the lsu tigers and houston astros rp3 is known across acadiana as a master of the english language
2: you look at all the guys that they got: Clinton Anukoraru, and I don't know how to pronounce this young man's name. TJ Falola, more like a master of broken English, that is. They also added an inside linebacker, Casey Usawi. These names are killing me, man. I even practiced last night.
0: <laughs> me fail English? That's impossible.
1: Now back to that silky smooth delivery of RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
2: Ah, poll question of the day. If the Saints don't sign Derek Carr, what should they do? Final results, 47% of you say draft a rookie early. Oh, no. (laughs) 35% <laughs> 35% say bring in another veteran. 18% say bring back the crawfish, a.k.a. Red Rifle. That's Kevin Foote's favorite quarterback in Saints history. Mr. Green says trade Jameis back to the Bucs for Fournette. Pick a quarterback in the draft and roll with Dalton until said quarterback is ready to take over and fire everyone, especially the medical staff and DA. It'd be a win-win. Saints get a running back. They need a running back. their future QB, and my Bucks can get a quarterback in a... It is me. Robert... Says Garoppolo if they can't get Carr. You know, I, I like what Jimmy G brings to a team. I do. I just, I, I don't know. For whatever reason, I just don't think that's a fit with New Orleans. I, I just, there, there's something about it that just doesn't seem like it goes together, and I can't really put my finger on it.
3: Yeah, I, I kind of see what you're saying with that one. I've never felt like that would be a great fit. I also think I, – I tend to think of the quarterbacks available, I think Jimmy G's the most overrated. I haven't seen – now, I know the – and I like the winner logic. And, look, I used to do it to support my guy Tim Tebow all the time, but – Shout-out to Tim. But I don't – I haven't seen Jimmy G do it outside of Shanahan's offense, and that gives me pause. But I did want to say about the rookie conversation – like, what you brought up about Mahomes and those guys, that is the model that I think is the truest way and, and the most successful way is to bring in a guy and let him wait and let him be patient. For long-term success, yes. So I am okay with them taking a quarterback, especially in that second round or with their other picks. But in under no circumstances do I want that guy to have to start right away. Like, if you want to take Hooker, fine. Again, I have concerns about him being 25 years old and coming off a major injury. <sighs> yes. But if you take Hooker, I would – like, if you take Hooker – That's fine if you bring in Derek Carr. Even like that's fine. Now, if you bring in Derek Carr, you probably need to use your draft capital up in that spot to try to compete. Now, there you go. Teams like Kansas City and those teams when they did that, they had the ability. They had good rosters already. They
2: were luxury picks. They were luxury picks, and
3: specifically the Mahomes one. Now, some of the others like Jalen Hurts, that was just great foresight. Like they took him in the second round. I mean, they they did it in a great spot. And he was the best
2: player available, and they couldn't pass it up.
3: And, right. But again, like let's not pretend like Jalen Hurts didn't have huge question marks even coming into the season. It worked Absolutely. out. It doesn't always work out. But you have to take those picks without the pressure of you have to go win us games right away. That doesn't. Very few times. Yeah, when it's when it's the clear cut number one guy like Burrow and Andrew Luck, maybe it works. It doesn't always work out. Like
2: those guys that. are few and far between. Payton Luck Burrow. I mean, those guys are few and far between. They just are. Uh, T. Word says please no more, and he shared a gif of a red rocket. <laughs> Who forever says if they don't get them, they may as well fire the entire coaching staff now. It's clear they've put all their eggs in the Derek Carr-shaped basket. Scott on Twitter says, I'm not sure why a free agent veteran quarterback would want to come to the Saints' lifelong fan, but we have an OC who forgot how to football, a running back who's about to be in prison, and a wide receiver who got his money and decided not to play anymore, but blame everyone else. Uh, you know, there it is. Thanks to all who voted on the poll question of the day. Thanks to all who left their comments. We appreciate you making us part of your morning. Thanks to Les East, Skillmasters, and James Landronow for stopping by as our guest. For the producer, Dawson Iserlo, I'm RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next right here on The Game.